Sona, this was a very nice day today. It was. Because uh, over here at our headquarters, we got this great gift, Tillamook ice cream. I'm a monster for ice cream. I know you are too. I want to take a bath in it and then I want to eat Eat the ice in the eat the bath. Wait, what? I want to like bathe in it, yeah. but then I want to eat it as I'm bathing. In yeah, it. yeah, that's a simple concept. You made it much more complicated. I know, I'm sorry. Fill a bathtub with Tillamook ice cream. I will get in it, and then I will eat my way out. Yes, that's all okay, you need to there do. There you go. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They have so many great. It's such good ice cream, and they have so many great flavors. I mean, just off the top of my head, I I don't know. Birthday cake, caramel swirl, banana split, caramel toffee crunch, chocolate chip, chocolate chocolate chip cookie dough. I think there's butter pecan cookies and cream, French vanilla, chocolate peanut butter. Malted moose shake, I think, is one. I can't remember too well. Mounted huckleberry, Tillamook mudslide, Marionberry pie, monster cookie, old-fashioned vanilla, Rocky Road, Oregon dark cherry, waffle cone swirl, peppermint bark. I'm, I don't, I'm just going off memory here, but <laughs> holiday sugar cookie, orange and cream. Anyway, so many great flavors and uh, just incredible. You know, they they really put, and they come in family-sized cartons. Mm. Also, you're in good hands with the Tillamook brand. They make over 200 different dairy products, and the brand is farmer-owned and led by dairy experts. Find Tillamook ice cream near you at Tillamook.com. I'm going to spell it for you. That's how much I care about this product. T-I-L-L-A-M-O-O-K.com. This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yeah. yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries yeah. and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. Hi, my name's David Byrne. I feel carefree and buoyant about being Conan O'Brien's friend. Oh my God. Now, is that really how you feel or is you on some kind of medication? No, no. I haven't had medication in quite a while. Hours. It's been hours. Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walk in blues, climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Hey there. Welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. We're going to have a good time today. I can just sense it in me bones. Okay. I'm like an old sea salty that way. I feel things in me bones, and I feel that this is going to be a good one. Sona, how are you? I'm good. I think if you were a sea salty, I feel like it's not... It's not like a cool, easy life, though, right? No, it's so, not. Okay, all right. No, I'm a hard, tough man that's grown up on with the sea breeze in me puss. <laughs> okay, uh, the wind blasting across. Uh, no, the uh, uh, the ocean. What? Well, it's not a... just I'm just gonna take issue with some of these terms. Yeah. What, are you what about? did you just say? Something in your puss? Yeah, the old puss, the old face. Yeah, yeah. and then you're puss. saying sea salty. That's there's a salt and there's a sea dog, but there's nothing called a sea salty. <laughs> Oh, I'm thinking of the cracker. Oh. I think there's a cracker called sea salty. <laughs> That's or what actually, you are. I'm thinking of a saltine. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm kind of a, I'm like a saltine. I feel things in my yeah. bones. That You're makes an a old, lot of sense. Yeah. dry, and I'm, crispy biscuit. <laughs> that, that no one's really enjoyed since about 1950. You eat it when you're nauseous. <laughs> yeah. Can you even find saltines anymore? Oh, we of have Of course. Them. Are they out there? Yeah, yeah. Because I know that everything got so specialized. Yeah. Every. You know, you go to the store and all the crackers are so like, oh, this one's made of, you know, uh, this kind of seed mixed with that kind of seed. And, uh, you know, it's all boutique bullshit nonsense. You just need to crumple it up into your soup and only a saltine would work. Or like an old lady has to have them in their purse. You're hungry. You look thin. (laughs) (laughs) They say that you look thin. You look sick. Oh, you look sick and thin. Yeah. That's a great thing for people to walk around saying. Yeah. I think I'm going to say this, and I don't know if you can relate, Gorley, because uh, I'm older than you, but when I was a kid, I felt like there was 
If you wanted a cracker, you had a saltine mm. or a Ritz. Or a graham cracker. I know, but that's different. I'm saying if you wanted like a salty oh, cracker, okay. you had, there was hey, a saltine. I, I apologize. Okay. <laughs> Great. You're really in my flow today. That's terrific. <laughs> okay. Uh, incredible. I, I wish we had a band together so we could suck at the same time. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> my point is there was basically two types of each kind of food. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah. And if you wanted a powdered drink, you'd get like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. There'd, there'd be like a lemonade. There'd be one kind of lemonade or another kind, but that was it. There's 750 types of each kind of food now. Yeah. So I, that's why I feel like saltines must be getting squeezed out and I worry about them. Oh, mm. You really worry about saltines? Well, I did for a second and now it's gone. Okay, that yeah. makes more sense. It, yeah. it, I mean, if you're I'm, like staying up late worrying about saltines. No, oh. when I say I'm worried about something and this includes worried about like my parents' health or oh. how anyone in my family or anyone in my life is doing, I'm talking about a momentary sensation <laughs> That quickly passes the second I see my reflection. <laughs> Although we've been talking about saltines for a good few minutes well, now. God damn it. What a great crispy cracker. I know. They are good. You can't beat them. Well, I think that if they cornered the market on crackers and then everyone got fat, people were like, maybe we should make crackers with better ingredients than like cardboard with salt oh, on it. What is this you coming, coming yeah, out again? That's all great. I, I, said, I was I, saying I like them in my soup. Okay. It was fine. Yeah. Did you guys ever play that game where you eat a bunch of saltines and you try to whistle? That was good times. Oh, and it comes shooting out and it looks yeah. like shrapnel. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I love that game. Yeah, we should do that. Uh, nah, let's not. Okay. Let's never do that. <laughs> okay. Wait a minute. I'm going to tweak your idea. Okay. Slightly. Of okay. We should do it to let's never do it. Okay. So I took what you said and slightly tweaked it. Uh-huh. Yeah. We'd be great in a band together. You're right. I know. Trust me. Yeah. You with your asusophone, me with my... Sweet Stratocaster. And personality. And personality, yes. I mean, problematic personality. Hey, I'm America's sweetheart. Oh. No, it's true story. It used to be- I'm going to Ju- tweak your story Listen, a bit. Julia Roberts was America's sweetheart, and then they notified me recently that it has been passed to me. Is this like people's sexiest person alive? It's kind of, uh, but it's not done by People Magazine. It was just a given that Julia Roberts was America's sweetheart for like 25 years. It went from her to you? I swear to God, I was as shocked as you guys were. I thought it was a gas bill. And I just opened the envelope and it said, Julia Roberts is no longer America's sweetheart. Now it's you, Conan O'Brien. And there's all this all this responsibility. Who, se- who sent it? Yeah. I, you know what? I looked into it and it seems pretty legit. And I don't want to talk too much about it. Really? It, oh, you looked into it. It seems legit, but you don't want to say who sent Was it Was it by you? any chance sent by Conan O'Brien? <laughs> it just said C. O'Brien. Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. It said C. O'Brien and it smelled of... Smelled of alcohol. So uh, it's possible I wrote it late at night and mailed it to myself. And it had crumpled up saltines in it. It had cr- <laughs> saltines in it. What I thought, I thought it was glitter. And I was like, this is exciting. Uh, and I started waving uh, it around the room and just saltines everywhere. But anyway, if you're curious, yes, I'm now America's sweetheart. Oh, boy. America really is at the end of its rope. <laughs> Forget the democracy thing. We're forget, done. forget January 6th. Forget the threat against our whole system wow. of democracy. I think this is the end. This is the final blow. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, very excited about our guest today. Very cool to talk to this uh, gentleman. My guest is an Oscar, Grammy, and Tony award-winning musician. He's Isn't that most of the awards? What does he not have? You said Emmy, Grammy, and Tony? Nope. I didn't see Emmy. Emmy. Oh, he, he has d- Oscar, Grammy, and Tony, so he's an og. He doesn't have what you have. He's That's a, right. He's a loser. <laughs> <laughs> he's a god. He's a god. He's a god. Yeah. He's a god. He's a god. yeah. Yeah. Man, I feel so bad for this guy now. Uh, <laughs> all those awards, but not the wonderful Emmy, which is really the king of all the awards. <laughs> Anyway, uh, he's, uh, of course, the uh, was the lead singer and guitarist for the Talking Heads. This summer, he's bringing his musical Here Lies Love to Broadway with performances starting on July 20th. David Byrne, welcome. Well, first of all, I want to start by asking you, I am here at the Sirius Studios in Midtown, New York. Did you ride a bike here? Yes, I did. Yes, I did, I Your Honor. You <laughs> <laughs> and did you, in fact, strike that woman with your bike? Um, no, I'm just curious because I know that you are an avid biker. I'm a biker. I love riding a bicycle. A friend of mine 
his my favorite saying is, that he has is no no one's ever had a bad day on a bike. But is it practical here in New York City? Can you get around pretty well relying on the bike? I can get around really well. I live in Manhattan. Manhattan's not that big of an island, and, and usually most of my meetings and work are below Central Park. Let's yep, say. Yep. So it's pretty easy. I've gotten used to it. I stay in the bike lanes. I mostly stop at red lights. I've never had a serious accident, so I'm right. very lucky about that. Yeah, I wouldn't advocate and say, oh, just you've never done it before. Okay, just jump on a bike and get in the traffic. Right. Uh, yeah, I would not. I would say that to someone I didn't like. Yes. <laughs> I have an idea. Yes, if you see some guy coming right at you, going the wrong way, stick your hand out. But you know... <laughs> With the e-bikes now, it's tricky. I don't know if you have that, but I, when I'm in Manhattan now walking around, uh, there are these people that are delivering food and they'll go by on a bike I can't even hear that's going 60 miles an hour in the bike lane. I don't know if you've encountered that problem. I have certainly encountered that. Sometimes going the wrong way. So when you're crossing the street or whatever, you don't expect them to kind of blindside you. Right. It's uh, There's a little bit of an enforcement problem. Well, I wanted to start talking to you. And I know that there are unusual circumstances of your growing up, which is you lived in Scotland. Lived in for, Scotland. For how many years? Not very many. Family all left when I was two. Moved to Canada. Mm-hmm. Moved to suburban Baltimore when I was around seven or eight. But you like had that. a Scottish accent for a while. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, the kids couldn't understand me. And so I would think what's going to make someone in elementary school feel more like an outsider than having a uh, a thick Scottish accent? <laughs> that must have been, uh, I mean, first of all, that is something that right away, if you're a kid and you're sensitive, you feel you must have felt like I need to overcome this. How do What do I do? How do I fit in? Yeah, and kids at that age, they want to, they want to fit in. They want to be like everyone else. It's, it's not like, oh, I'm my own person. I'm, I do my own thing. I talk my own way. I do. I mean, kids are not ready for that. Right. So I'm sure I lost the accent within, you know, a couple of years or something. But right away, you know that I didn't talk the same way as the other kids. Right. right. My parents eat holding their knives and forks at the same time. Um, animals <laughs> <laughs> you're eating blood sausage yes you can't have sausage. anyone come over yes we called it black pudding yes so uh, i would think i mean i do think sometimes although these things can be painful when you're a kid being too well adjusted comes with a price and i think feeling a little bit like an outsider maybe has some advantages uh when it comes to maybe you having an interior life, thinking, what can I find that's mine? And then that turns out to be music. Yes. Music is very healing for a person who feels a little bit of an outsider, trying to figure things out, can't quite fit in. Music, yeah, the rock music, what it's all like, wow, there's people out there kind of like me. Mm -hmm. Where are they? Right. They're not here, but I I know they're out there. They're not out there. can hear them on the radio. uh, What instruments... Because I'm obviously guitar, but there were other instruments that you dabbled with as a as a kid. If you can call a tape recorder an instrument, yeah, you can. Okay, yeah. then I, I did that. My parents were uh, not like showbiz pushy, but they mm-hmm. were supportive. So my dad had a tape recorder, and I wanted to start playing with it and doing things I'd heard about, like cutting up tape and rearranging the order of the stuff on the tapes and editing and doing all that kind of thing. So he, you know. Let me do that. Yeah. Supportive in that way. It was really nice. And I think you dabbled in violin, accordion. Did you play accordion for I had a friend who played accordion. I played violin. And then at some point, uh, I connected with a friend and he played accordion. I played violin and ukulele and we uh, played on the street sometimes. And I did a little bit of, uh, well, you might call it acrobatics. Mainly, I just stood on one leg. You stood on one leg. Yeah. As you played. Yeah. As I played. And looked at the, looked at the. That's very people. Jethro Tull. He used to stand on one leg in. Uh, I mean, Aqualung. Uh, exactly. You know, he'd, he'd stand. Uh, uh, um, what am I thinking? Of? Ian. Ian Anderson, Anderson. Is that a thing? Yes. Yeah. Would stand on one leg and play uh, in this very dramatic pose and play his uh, flute solos. M- I think my gesture was meant to be a little more ironic. Like, look at what I'm look at what I'm doing. Look, look, 
isn't this amazing? Uh-huh. And yet I was really just standing with on one foot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, clearly your act evolved. <laughs> it's not like in the early days of... In the seventies at CBGBs, people were like, "You got to see this guy. He stands on one leg." <laughs> yes. How's the music? I don't know, <laughs> yeah, but I haven't listened to it. <laughs> I've met uh, an old acquaintance of yours, um, Jerry Harrison, uh, and bumped into him a couple of times uh, and told him how much Talking Heads meant to me, uh, meant so much to me. Thank you. And I have a, a very clear, crystal clear memory. It would have been, I want to say maybe 1983, 84, somewhere around there. I'm in college. And of of course, I'm obsessed with Late Night with David Letterman. And he has you guys on and you play Burning Down the House on Letterman. And it was my whole world of things that I loved coming together (laughs) in one moment, which rarely happened Mm -hmm. when you're at that phase. There There was much less entertainment back then. So the fact that I remembered... I think Dave chatted with you uh, a bit. You you came over for, to the interview chair either before or after the song. He was talking to you and I thought, this is everything I like in life in one place at the same time. I remember, well, I've seen replays of that chat. It seemed like a very, uh, it was a very odd chat. It was. Um, I was very nervous um, and gave a fairly stilted answers, but... I don't think I remember watching it and having no judgment about it, which is just, that's you. This is Dave. I don't, you know, this, this is what's happening at this moment. Mm-hmm. I love the performance uh, of the song, Thank you know, you. you know, so fascinated by, you know, talking about the beginnings of that band. I never realized until recently that Psycho Killer, which is the first big hit, was the only the second song you had ever written. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of an experiment to see, can I, can I really write a song? Wow. I got help from some of the others. We did, and people seemed to like that one. Yeah. And then I thought, <laughs> oh. It also sounded so different uh, from anything else at the time to me. It just was so, it was, um, and, and, and I know that you were trying to, I read an interview once where you said in Psycho Killer, you were trying to, um, almost as a thought experiment, saying, what if Alice Cooper and Randy Newman wrote a song together? Exactly, yes. And I'm like, what, what a fantastic, first of all, who approaches songwriting with that kind of idea? <laughs> I like them both. Yeah. I thought, well, you know, you like it both. Both, both. It's like cooking. Put them together. <laughs> I like onions. Yeah. I like ice cream. <laughs> they must together. be good together. <laughs> yes. I'm curious. You so you wrote that song. Things start to take off, and then you just have this phenomenal success. And I, I think the rare thing that you guys pulled off was. The group was very commercially successful. It was the soundtrack for a lot of people of late 70s, early 80s, but also very highly regarded and respected at the same time, which doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen. We were kind of determined to do what we did, mm-hmm. but I think we were also pretty lucky at the, be around at that time where that kind of thing was accepted. There's a certain amount of luck involved. Yeah. I like it when people acknowledge luck. I mean, yeah. We were in back at CBGB's. We were kind of in the right place at the right time. Other bands were playing. People were coming to see them. Record companies coming to see them. Um, We didn't plan that. Do you ever think to yourself, I do in comedy and think, what if I was starting now? What would you do? What would you do? What would I do if I started now? How would I, because there's so much out there, how would I... How would I make it? And I'm not sure that I would. Um, I'm, I'm very yes, lucky that so I- So much. Yeah. There's a lot of music out there too. Yes. Yeah. Um, the streaming services and, every, and everywhere are just filled, filled, filled with music. And you wonder how, I still find lots of things that I like, but I can imagine for a lot of people, it's like, well, it's just too much. I think that your people are overwhelmed and then they get siloed. I just want to listen to these three. It's just as in news, you don't have to hear an opinion you don't want to hear anymore. Because you can just watch mm-hmm. your the same thing is happening, I think, in music and in comedy. You can just seek out these are the seven things that give me comfort, and you will not run into anything that might challenge you, yes. which is kind of scary. Uh-huh. There's such a nice evolution too with your with your band with Talking Heads that the music kept evolving. It didn't. It felt like almost if I'm if I'm not mistaken, there was a determination to not do the same thing twice. Exactly, and, and I'd. Grown up, 
uh, as a music fan in the late 60s, early 70s. And who did you like? Oh, I, you know, I liked The Temptations and mm -hmm. James Brown and The Beatles and The Rolling Stones and The Who and, you know, all, every, all these acts that were around. And a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them, from album to album, they'd evolve yeah. and do different things and try these odd, adding these odd sounds and odd ideas into their songs. And I thought, that's what you do. You can get away with it. Yeah. yeah and look, they're successful. And so I thought, well, okay, if they can do it, that's the... That's the, that, that's the way to go if you can get a, get away with it. Was there pressure after Psycho Killer from record label to say, like, that was great, do that again? Because you didn't. <laughs> didn't. Uh, there was probably pressure after some other things, like maybe maybe when we did some successful tours or something like that. It was more like, that's good. You're doing good. Just stay on the road. Yep. That can be fun, but kind of deadly after a while. Yeah. Famously, the road... It, in my limited experience with it, it is thrilling for a while, for just a little while. And then you see, you understand why people become addicts and alcoholics, <laughs> yes. you know, and because uh, you're on a bus and yeah. uh, you're, you're t really amped up after a show and you want to come down from after a show and then it's time to get on a bus and it's... It's not a good rhythm to live in consistently. Yeah, you just watch some movies and start drinking. I mean, I do that now, but I'm not even touring. So this is, <laughs> I'm realizing now this is an intervention they've called in. <laughs> I've got no. <laughs> so now, where else can you go surfing and skiing the same day, huh? I don't know. Or check out a world-class art museum and then camp at a dark sky sanctuary that night, huh? Yeah. Yeah, where else can you hike through Redwoods and then get a luxury spa treatment? Where? Well, you live there. California. <laughs> California, Sona. No matter where California. you go across the state, you'll find a way to play. I'm a California resident. So are you. Sona, you are a lifelong California resident. I'm a lifer. I love this place. This is a beautiful state. Gorgeous. So many different, wonderful ecosystems in one state. You can hang out by a Palm Springs pool. You know, you can go whale watching. You can go hiking in Yosemite. And then uh, talk about the great cities in California. You get all this amazing food, sushi, whatever you want. They got it in California. Hey, if you can't find it in California, man, you got a problem. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. I made that up on my own. Anyway, I love California. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. I got to say, everywhere I go, people are talking about Monopoly Go. And oh. for good reason. It's an absolute hit. Yeah. I love Monopoly. People love Monopoly. And look, Monopoly's been around for a very long time. It's one of the oldest board games ever. Okay? Okay. But lately I walk around and I just hear like, Monopoly go, Monopoly go, Monopoly go. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? What are you guys talking about? And they say, we're playing Monopoly go. You can play it with your family, your friends. It's a straight delight. There's always something new to do. Partner events where you can build on each other's boards and Crazy tournaments with team events you can recruit your friends for. Or you can just compete to outdo them all on the leaderboards. Mm. And when you're not messing with your family and friends, Monopoly Go is always throwing new stuff at you. They have taken Monopoly to the next level. I didn't think Monopoly had to go to the next level, but they did. <laughs> <laughs> There's timed events like massive multipliers for all your winnings and challenges like treasure hunts and, or money sprees that have fun new mini games. Plus, with tons of rewards to collect, like stickers for trading with friends and hilarious emojis that are perfect for gloating, there's always a reason to dip back in. Yeah. Man, they cracked it, you know? They did. So join the fun. Download Monopoly Go now free on the App Store and Google Play. Come on, if most people are being honest, no one really knows what you do for work, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, especially if you're in a, what I like to call B2B. Oh, you know? what, what is that? I'll explain. Okay. That's a business doing business with other businesses. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I call it B2B. It's a little thing. It's also, uh, it's a boy band I'm working on. <laughs> anyway, fortunately, LinkedIn has a network of professionals who get what you do, and you can reach the right people 
who matter most to your company because they're LinkedIn. Yeah. That's what they do. Yeah. LinkedIn has over, this is the fun part to say, one billion members. Are you serious? Yeah. That's not that's more people than are on Earth because there are people on the moon using it and Saturn. <laughs> That's one over 1 billion members on its platform, including 70 million decision makers. God, I'd like to meet a decision maker. Since LinkedIn <laughs> members are regularly updating their work history, you can precisely build a target audience by job title, industry, company, and more. Man, you can reach the right people for your, I'm going to say it again, B2B business with LinkedIn ads. Yeah. Gets even better because LinkedIn will give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Hmm. There you go. Just go to linkedin.com slash Team Coco to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash Team Coco. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. When did you, I mean, obviously you've always had uh, a strong inclination to combine, there's the music, but you've always in, in a way that I, I feel like very similar to David Bowie, you've always wanted it to also be a great theatrical experience. You've wanted it to, I mean, I remember the, the giant suit and stop making sense and how arresting that was, what, how, what a great idea that was. Thank and you. so you have your physicality and the way you moved and then the suit and how they're fighting each other, but also complimenting each other. And it, it burned a hole in my brain at the time. And I think for a lot of people it did. But um, where did that sensibility come from, do you think? Were you always interested in that, in, in making it visual and theatrical? Little by little. I think at first, I mean, I, again, growing up, seeing like David Bowie shows and some other kinds of things, I realized, oh, that is a thing that can can be done. You can do a kind of theatrical show with wear costumes or whatever, that's not completely out of the question. But I thought, no, but we don't know what to do. So we started off trying to take it down to ground zero and not do anything, just wear street clothes on stage and not mm -hmm. have any kind of look. Of course, not having a look ends up being a look. Yeah, There's no way, you can't escape it. So after a while, little by little, started incorporating things, like a little bit of movement, this and that, more and more, a little bit of lighting. At first, we had no lighting. We would say to the, we'd go into our club and just say, just turn them on when we start and then turn them off when we're done. <laughs> <laughs> really, really an on-off, just someone with an on-off switch. Basically, yes. Just, sorry, I know you want to be creative, but please, um, we're not ready for that yet. Right. Living here, I started seeing kind of downtown experimental theater things like that, people doing different things. And I saw various kinds of performances and whatever, and I thought, oh, oh, there's all different ways of doing this. It doesn't have, I don't have to be like the various rock stars that I, that I know about that I might love, but there's other ways of doing things. I didn't necessarily copy those other people, but it, it kind of opened up yeah. a world of think outside the box, think of what you can do. And we'd finished a tour. I was in Japan talking to a friend over there and I said, uh, I'm not sure what to do on, on stage for our next tour. And this guy said, well, being kind of facetious saying, well, you know, in the theater, everything has to be bigger. And I'm thinking about what I'm wearing at that moment. I was thinking what I'm going to wear. So mm -hmm. I drew on a napkin, a really, <laughs> a really big suit. Uh -huh. uh, now being in Japan, I was also thinking of, the kind of traditional theater there, like this uh, genre of theater called No. They wear these very wide shouldered outfits. I've seen outfits, those. Yes, and they, yeah. they, and they look kind of flat when they turn to the side. Mm -hmm. It's like a big rectangle in front with a head in the middle. And the shoulders are very, uh, obviously very square. Yeah, very square. And I thought, do that, not have it look Asian, but have it look like a kind of business person's suit. I don't know what that means, but I thought that could be nice. It's, it feels like it means something. Did you um, did you feel that the glasses also were part of the aesthetic? You know what I mean? Or was it just, I need to see? No, no, I didn't wear glasses then. Yeah. Uh, and You did in some videos, I think. Yeah, I did in a, some videos. But, but it was they, just for the look. They didn't have any glass in them, uh, I don't think. Yeah, it was just for the look that I thought this person, this character. You start there, but then as the 
you need to, as you evolve and start playing with things, you start adding more and more, but it starts very stripped down. Yes. Didn't know what to do, so thought, let's eliminate everything. No guitar solos. Well, maybe there was just a hint of a guitar solo. Uh, weightless, we're going to wear our street clothes. The lights are just going to come on at the beginning and go off at the end. Right. All those kinds of things. Uh, no, no choreography. Mm-hmm. All the, sort of take away everything and see what's left. We kind of did that musically too. It was kind of, let's remove all the extraneous musical elements so we only play what's absolutely necessary. And then you can start to add other things can creep back in. When the band breaks up, uh, I think the last time you played together was at a rock and roll Hall of Fame induction. Is that yeah, right? yeah. How did it feel when you guys were up there together? It was fun, but it was tense. Yeah. I remember there were some musical mistakes that drove me around the bend. Yeah. I just thought, oh, geez, really? Now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Here? Yeah. <laughs> There's the pluses and minuses of, of being in a band. Yes. Uh, and I have always really admired the decision not to reform the band because I've always thought when something happens and it's pure and then it's done, there's a real beauty to mm-hmm. stepping away from it. Is that how you have felt? I love collaborating with people, but being with a band is, yeah, I have to say it's, it's really wonderful. You're like a family. You're like a little team, a little army, all those kinds of things. But then after a while, it gets all the kind of, all the kind of negative stuff in a family is there as well as the positive stuff. Right. Who took my toothbrush? Yeah, yeah. Do you have to chew like that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was Lauren Michaels said to me once, he was describing, I don't know if it was Rowan and Martin or some famous comedy team, but he said, when when you're down and out and you're working your way up in the clubs, you look at your partner and you think, thank God he's up here on stage with me at this dive. But then when you hit it the huge big time, you look over at that guy and you go, what the hell is he doing here? (laughs) (laughs) It's just human nature, but also things run their course. Things run their course. Did you ever work with a team like that? No. I mean, I worked, I was, I've always been very collaborative uh, in, in my, I started out as a writer and I was a comedy writer for a long time and that was very collaborative. I enjoyed that. But when I started performing, I, I found that, Oh, I'm kind of a control freak. And uh, <laughs> it's easier when not everything is a collaboration. So it's the yin yang. It's mm-hmm. you want it to be the way you have it in your head. You want to hear it the way you hear it in your head, whether it's comedy or music. It's a, it's a struggle. The collaborations are great, but then there's those moments when you think, can I, can I just tell everybody exactly what to do? And then, of course, you're Mussolini, yes. <laughs> who did was, not make it in comedy, by the way. <laughs> uh, I remember being like that at, ver- at various points, being a control freak and saying, it has to be this way. It has to be this way. And we're going to do it again. We're going to do it again. Da, 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 da. And years go by, and I realized, you know, you, whatever uh, whatever the phrase is, you catch more flies, you get more something with sugar or whatever it might, might be. When uh, uh, flies go into sugar and die. Wait, yes. honey <laughs> can cover sugar. No, so, yes. I'm not making this any better. But, but it, it, man, I know what you're saying. It's supposed to be you like- You catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Something like that. So uh, I knew this. Now I'm a control freak. We've got to get this right. Yes. So there's a fly. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I would like it if we just completely broke down over this, got into a fight, and then you left. It was over this saying. I'm going to go look this up. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to the New York Public Library. <laughs> Why don't you use your phone? I want to go to the library. I don't trust the internet. <laughs> <laughs> it's stealing my soul. This is just apropos of nothing, but just because you mentioned that, are you kind of a lot of, are you comfortable with technology? Are you comfortable with internet, uh, phone, or? I use it. Uh, I mean, I use the internet. I uh, use, gotta have a mobile phone, of course, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm not on social media. Right. I'm kind of suspicious of yeah. what, what that does to people. There's other things that I'm kind of suspicious about. The big tech companies know so much about us and therefore are kind of manipulating us in various kinds of ways. It sounds, I mean, when the way I say it, it sounds like science fiction, but it's more like manipulating you to 
stay on their platform and, yes. and buy stuff that yeah, you don't in really subtle, need. In subtle ways. Yeah. Do you ever use a typewriter? Yes, I have, but I don't use it anymore. I, I, I know you. we all did use a typewriter. I still use a typewriter because I love the look of them. The same way I love the look of a guitar, I also love the look of uh, mm -hmm. certain kinds of typewriters, and I love having them around. And there is a little niche cult out there of people like me that still type people letters and put them in the mail. I'm sure people love getting a letter. They like love that. getting a typed letter, even if it's quite abusive. <laughs> 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 I've written the creepiest, most abusive letters. People are like, you type this? <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> but I don't know, you you seem like you would maybe fall into that pocket of sometimes, you know, you want to ride a bike, you want to keep it simple. Yeah, to some extent. To some extent, I feel like, yeah, enjoy your life and you don't have to, you have to obsess over all this stuff. So I want to talk to you about Here Lies Love, which is this uh, project that you've been working on for quite a while. I mean, the, and, and now it's going to get its premiere on Broadway. Finally. On July 20th. This is what fascinates me is the inspiration for this or the starting point was your interest in Imelda Marcos. Exactly. Now tell uh, us how, because that that is not, again, I have learned to expect the unexpected from David Byrne. But when I say like, it's, it's going to be a musical and it revolves around Imelda Marcos, I think... I can't say after that, oh, that old idea again. <laughs> Another musical about Amelda Marcos, please. Ah, <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, all those songs about shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so where did this come from? How did this germinate? It goes back before that, not very often, but a few times I went to discos when there was a live act playing. Mm -hmm. And a live act playing in a disco meant they would come in with a little tape with their backing tracks, with their music on the tape, Put it in. So it was like a karaoke thing. It'd be like Grace Jones or Gloria Gaynor or Frida Payne or different people who had hits in, in those days. They would stand on a little platform. The tape would play and they'd dance around and sing live, but the music was pre-recorded. And I thought, oh, that's, that's pretty nice. It's mm -hmm. a really short set. It's like 15 minutes because they don't only have maybe two hits. And then I'd heard the DJs the, the, in those kind of places saying there's an arc to the evening. There's where we take the audience on a journey, uh, dancing, and maybe they're doing other things, but it's, a, it's an arc. And I thought, but what if the arc was a story? What if you could tell a story using those songs that they're singing? I just filed that away. And then when I read that Amelda Marcos, the former first lady of the Philippines, loved going to discos. She had a mirror ball installed in her New York townhouse. She turned the roof of the palace in Manila into like a dance club. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, here's a kind of somewhat eccentric real-life person who lives in that world. Yeah, Maybe this is the person whose story could be told, told that way. So I started doing research. And, and what did you, So what did you find out about, uh, I mean, for the longest time, she was held up as this, if you don't know much about people, you just know the caricature about them. But as you, did you become more sympathetic at all to Imelda Marcos the more you learned about her or no? Oh, yeah. I think uh, anybody who's writing about another person or some situation like that, you have to try and have empathize and understand what drove them to do what they did. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't, if you just say, oh, she's a bad, 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 bad person, then story's over right there. Right. So you have to try and understand it. For her, yes, there was a story. She started all, it was, there's was a little bit of a rags to riches story. Mm -hmm. Poor girl from the poor side of a very influential family. So she watched her relatives, her richer relatives, and she would have to s serve them tea and things like that. And she thought, why are they, why them? Why them? Why not me? And so she became kind of ambitious and kind of clawed her way up there. She was very beautiful. Won some beauty contests, married a young senator, got it, got in there, and yeah, lots and lots of things happened after that. To make to long story short, uh, she did go to a lot of discos, mm -hmm. and in the end, she and her husband, her husband, declared martial law. Yeah. They put the country under martial law, which meant the press is muzzled. Any dissidents can just be rounded up. Bad things happened, and eventually, the populace revolted, but in a very peaceful way. They held an election, but it was kind of a fake election. And, and like someone else we know, they claimed they won when they hadn't. Right. And people just turned out on the streets everywhere and just said, no, 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 no. Enough. 
enough. We're not having this. And that might have been the end of it. Uh, they might have just said, who are you to say? The generals started defecting. And the, card the cardinal in the Philippines, whose name was Cardinal Sin, mm -hmm. he defected. That's almost, you can't write that stuff. I couldn't, yes, good. I thought, what? I'm Cardinal Sin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought, oh, no, I can't say that. People will think, oh, you made that shit up. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah so then eventually, yeah, after four days, nobody got hurt. Uh, they gave up and the U.S. Marines came in and airlifted them out. So it has a happy ending. But, <laughs> I but love the Marines came in there out as a happy ending. Well, yeah, that, well, happy ending for the yeah. people there. However, now there's other stories. The Marines are lifted her out and stopped. Uh, they said we're going to you can be go to Hawaii, mm -hmm. and which they did. But she said we need to stop at the PX in Guam. She dropped mm -hmm. sixty thousand dollars at the PX on the way out. I would think, what is at the PX at Guam that's so great? I know. It's a big base, but yeah. Would she get $60,000 worth of string cheese? <laughs> I wonder. Beef jerky? <laughs> yes. Spam. Yeah. So, so you know, what's interesting to me is, so you have this story. Do the song, does the music then come out of the story? Does the, is that what suggests? Or how does that work? How does this symbiotic relationship between the story and the music happen creatively? Wow. Um, and I demand you to teach it to me so okay. I can do it. Since I was now saying, okay, this story is going to be set in a disco, mm -hmm. uh, and I wanted the audience to be like I would be in a disco, hearing in the performers up on little platforms on the side. So we have to have it that kind of energy a lot of the time, telling the story. So yeah, I went to Fatboy Slim, the yep. musical artist, and said, you have to help me do this. This is a little bit outside of my wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. um, we want it to really sound like dance music. Yeah. It, it it worked. And to me, it felt like the kind of buoyant energy you get from dance music. I thought, that must be what it feels like to be a powerful person like this, to be the president's wife and you can kind of do whatever you want. You know, I had a friend that saw a um, previous showing of it and was called me and was completely blown away. <laughs> just said this was the greatest the greatest experience and it was immersive and it was fantastic and the music was great and so i'm really looking forward to it i i'm um and i don't want to pay for a ticket that's the other reason i had you on well they yeah there's people can arrange we can arrange that no uh, no, no i i don't think you understand <laughs> <laughs> i want you to pay me to no uh <laughs> Oh, yeah. And I'd like, I'd like to show up late and I'd like the, the show to stop when I show up and I'd like a light to hit me okay. as, I'm, as, I, as I make my way in. <laughs> These are things that I demand when I go places, which is why I'm never invited anywhere. Um, I'm glad your friend liked it. it. It is a lot of fun. I made it sound like it's a, lot of, it's a history lesson, but it, the history comes through with all the dancing and music and everything. With your creative process, do you find that you have... Is it the more? Do you find that you do the best work, say, in the morning, at night, or is there no rhyme or reason to your your creative engine? I found that I've fallen into a routine where the morning I get up and try and empty my inbox of emails. Mm -hmm. Never happens. But then by after lunch, I can start to work on whatever I, I really want to work on. And it's kind of like if there's more emails coming in, forget it. Yeah. There's this, I mean, they've done studies that say that there's so much creativity it's really not that much in a given day someone might have two hours of real creativity i agree and then after that everything is busy work and um i get fascinated by this stuff so you know hemingway used to say i'll get up he'd get up very early in the morning and he would he said if i get right to it i have about i think he said two maybe three good hours and he said, then I know the tank is done or almost done. He said, but I always leave. I always stop knowing what the next thing is going to be to make the beginning of the next day easier. Oh, I see. Which I thought was really uh -huh, uh -huh. like a kind of a cool trick. Yeah. I, he, doesn't, he didn't go to empty. He went to, there's still a little bit left and I'm going to stop here. And then the rest of the day was swimming, fishing, unfortunately, drinking way too much. But he would do whatever it is that he were boxing, you know, uh, uh, some some cubist um, painter. But but 
he, then the next day he could say, okay, I know where I, I have about 15 minutes where I know what I'm doing and that will get me, give me the momentum to get going again. That makes perfect sense. I think I, I probably do that too. And I'd have some kind of administration work in the creative thing. Like let's do some edit, line editing. Let's uh, maybe just try and figure out some rhymes in a song that didn't quite work. Like go mm -hmm. back over it and see if you can fix it a little bit, but not the heavy lifting of coming up with something on a blank page. You have said before that you think you might be somewhat on the spectrum is that something that you still believe not so much yeah there, i still have moments when i interpret things that people say very very literally mm -hmm. or when somebody says something and, and i take it literally and they say wait what you could you couldn't tell that i didn't actually mean that right and i go no i heard what you said <laughs> right, right. That can cause problems. Well, it can cause problems now because I don't think, I have this theory that sarcasm didn't really exist until about 1925 <laughs> and that people used to say exactly what they meant and then they would fight duels over it. And now things have evolved to the point where 98% of what people say to each other is wise-assery and, and <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yes. and I, you know, not... You know, mm -hmm. uh, I, it, it's uh, it's sarcastic. It's meant to be, you know. Oh, please! What I meant was the opposite. Exactly, and, and, I, I and that's that's. I had trouble following that. Uh, less so now, but yes, I, I'm. As I got older, I felt more socially comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there was a time where I felt fairly socially awkward, but I did not feel unhappy. I just felt like, well, this is the way I am. Yeah. In New York, when you're moving through the world and you're on your bike, you are quite recognizable and you're a big deal rock star. How does that work for you? <laughs> you are. You're an iconic artist. And I, th I don't know how comfortable are you with, David, can I grab a selfie? Sometimes that's okay. But, but often, you know, there's an advantage. If I'm on the bike, like today, a man said, hi. Hi, David. I'm from Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know him. Mm -hmm. Seemed like a very nice man. But I thought, I'm not really ready to have a conversation right now. Uh, the red light changed and boop, I was gone. You just take off on the bike. Not in a rude way. I said, good, good day right. to you, sir. Good day to you. I have a nice day. Yeah, I've noticed my... uh, this is a podcast, so I just want people to know that David's been sitting on a bike the entire time. <laughs> and at any moment, if the conversation goes away that he's not pleased, he's riding out. Yes. If the light changes. <laughs> yeah. Why is, there a, why is there a traffic light in here? <laughs> Um, I also wanted to mention, uh, we have a mutual friend in John Mullaney. Oh yeah. yeah. Who I'm adore. I just adore. I think he's a, a brilliant, uh, brilliant mind and, uh, just thrilled to know him. How did you and John Mullaney come to be friendly? Through, uh, the, through the director of Here Lies Love, Alex mm -hmm. Timbers. He's a theater director and he directed a thing that John Mullaney and Nick did called oh oh hello oh yeah i've seen that show i love that show yeah he directed that and said david they like to sometimes invite someone up on stage will mm -hmm. you will you let them do that i said oh sure uh so i did i was one of the kind of ringers in the yes. audience that they bring up and they you become part of one of the was uh, it the tuna sandwich uh, yeah the tuna sandwich thing <laughs> and uh they do that and of course, they're all in like uh, wigs and prosthetics, prosthetics and, yeah. and all kinds of stuff. So I have to say that I, I got a little confused. Uh, I, <laughs> I thought, Who, who's, which one's John? Which one is Nick? <laughs> which one's Nick? Which is John? <laughs> yes. No, it was a surreal moment of my life too, which is a really, I mean, it's a very, it was a really funny show. Those are both brilliant guys. And then- the same thing. They heard I was in town. They said, would you come and be the the uh, the stooge that sits in the audience and gets called up? So I got called up and it all, oh, they're both were dressed as the, these old men. They're obsessed with Steely Dan and live on the Upper West Side. And it is the most specific kind of comedy. And then, of course, it all there's this bit that they want you to participate in where they lure you into mentioning this tuna sandwich and wouldn't you like some of this tuna sandwich? <laughs> and I, it is one of those moments in my life anyway, and there've been many, I'm sure there've been many in yours, 
where I leave my body and I observe what's happening. And I, <laughs> there's part of me that thinks you have a very odd life at this moment, Conan. You're up on stage. It's Mulaney Kroll. <laughs> they keep referencing Steely Dan and they're trying you to mention tuna fish sandwich. And uh, we're at a Broadway theater. I don't understand what's happened in my life. So I'm, it sounds like you had this similar experience. I had a very similar experience. Yes. This giant tuna sandwich comes down and the, uh, appears and really the whole stage smells like tuna fish it really does i smelled like tuna fish for days afterwards they, they wouldn't let me fly commercially for a while uh i like that you're good friends with john because i'm obsessed with whatever this line is between comedy and music i know that there's some kind of visceral connection between the two i've always been in comedy but fascinated with music and tried to play music and been frustrated and always thought the grass was always greener. In uh, the, the last kind of show I did, I wasn't exactly stand-up, but there were quite a number of parts on the, in the show where I would just talk directly to the audience. Right. Kind of like a comedian would do. And sometimes I got laughs. Mm -hmm. And so I got a little, little tiny taste of that. I loved it, but it was terrifying. Yeah. As a musician, you have this whole group of musicians and you have the song and everything that just the kind of structure is it's there. a structure once you get on that roller coaster structure or whatever you want to call it boom you're you're supported right you just ride it right whereas if you're just standing there if and and you're trying to make people laugh or pay attention at least if they don't it's like whoa we're, we're in trouble now yeah yeah <laughs> i'm always i mean i do think there is a connection in that uh i had to do something today and got up in front of this crowd and I could tell it was tight. And I always think what time has taught me is be patient and find the rhythm of the room. Mm -hmm. Like let's find the rhythm of what's happening in this room. And then I can work with that. And I imagine that it's somewhat similar in music where you need to, where are these people now that we're playing for and how do we connect with them? So when you find the rhythm of the room in that way, do you then go, Oh, I'm, I have to completely change what I was going to do. I'm going to I'm going to jump and do this other thing. Well, I a big I love mistakes. It's just joyous. I mean, I I grew up watching Johnny Carson tell a joke that would bomb on the Tonight Show, and I would see his eyes kind of <laughs> glim. There's gleam in his eye, and then he would have. I mean, there's a. There's one segment I really loved where he told a few jokes in a row that didn't work out well, and then he reached up and there was a a microphone hanging above his head that was catching. He wasn't loved. He was was done with the boom and he grabbed the boom and pulled down and said, um, is this thing on? Is this working? And then said, uh, Walmart clean up in aisle five into the microphone. And he was basically just calling out the fact that his routine was not going at all well that night and having fun with it. And I thought that's the monologue I remember. And he, he probably got a huge laugh. Huge. I have a question. My, uh, I have a friend who often tells me, David, don't laugh at your own jokes. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to stick to that, but sometimes I can't help it. It'll tickle me and I'll just start la giggling mm -hmm. at my own jokes. Now, sometimes I find like if I'm in front of an audience, they love that because it's it, whatever breaks the fourth wall sure. or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah. and they go, they're in on it. Yeah. Uh, other times it's like, he's just having fun by himself. He's, we're not included here. I'm, I disagree with your friend violently. Well, okay. <laughs> if he were here, I would fight this person. Like I, I don't, sometimes I, if I'm laughing at my own joke, I'm the only one laughing. Yes. But at least there's someone there enjoying it. And I, I <laughs> so I, uh, uh, and, and people around me will say, oh, Conan, you're cracking yourself up there. And I, but I'll say, yes, I am. And I'm, I'm only on this earth for a little time. And I'm delighted with myself at this moment. And I, I don't care that none of you are. Um, I want to make sure that I let you go on time because uh, I know you've got, you are an important man with places to be. Um, but this has been a real uh joy it's been a joy and an honor i want to make sure i get the word out that uh here lies love premieres july 20th we're in previews before that right where we're that means we're still getting some bugs out of it mm -hmm. but it's it's the full show and um on the night in which i come 
I will show up late. The show will stop. A spotlight will hit me. And I will uh, slowly walk to where I'm going to be seated, standing. And um, and then the show resumes. That's right. And we'll have some shoes for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, David Byrne, this is like uh, my dream come true. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. This yeah. was fun talk. This is cool. Thank you. You know, it's only a matter of time until your check engine light comes on, which could equal an expensive repair bill, and a new engine can cost up to $6,000. Don't I know it? But this is why you need this product I'm about to mention right now. Okay. CarShield. Mm. CarShield offers plans with low monthly rates that you can pay for your expensive repairs on your out-of-warranty car, truck, or SUV. It's so nice to have that protection of CarShield. I know. I believe. That's my belief. Some people have other beliefs, maybe religious beliefs. I think CarShield. CarShield plans provide protection on up to 5,000 major parts and systems, including items like transmission, mm. engine, even your entertainment system. Mm. Just call CarShield and choose the mechanic to do the work. CarShield administrators will handle the rest and save you money. Look, I saw your car today. You've got a beautiful car, but you've got to haul your family around in this yeah. car. This is a vital piece of machinery for you. You need CarShield. I do. And you know, I you know I don't take care of my cars very well. So CarShield it would definitely come in. You know, and also with their A rating from the BBB, don't ask me, CarShield is the name you can trust to save you money on covered auto repairs. Now's the time to make the smart choice to protect yourself from the sky-high auto repair bills. Visit carshield.com slash Conan. Save 20% today. Again, that's carshield.com slash Conan to save 20%. Visit carshield.com slash Conan to lock in your price today. On the way in today, Sona, I was thinking about just how much has changed over the years. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, we were all dancing the jitterbug and the Watusi. And then you grow up now and there's mosh pits and everything's gone. cuckoo there's this new thing called rap i don't know what's happening anymore but guess what in a world full of change there's one thing that hasn't changed mm-hmm. the great taste of miller light are you with me on oh, this Oh yeah i'm right there with you yeah and you know another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling yeah i hate a filling beer when i have a filling beer i just want to sit down in a beanbag chair for six days but not oh. with miller light so what's the best thing about the original light beer? Mm-hmm. Back in 1975, the big debate in America was what's more important, that it, it's less filling Miller Light or it tastes great. Yeah. The cool thing is when we all realized it's both. Okay. It's less filling and it tastes great. Yeah, all right, everybody wins. Everybody wins. Miller Light keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and it's less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Conan. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Yeah. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. I believe our sound engineer, Eduardo, has something he likes to say. Yes, sound. Is that, yes. the, is that the correct term, by the way, sound engineer? Sure. Audio engineer, sound engineer. No. Both no. work. Okay. Both he work. said audio engineer. I think that's what That's he what prefers. you want, right? Yeah. Either is fine. Okay. No, that's not true. I could yeah. pause. I mean, our yeah. microphone guy. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, a talkie man. Yeah, yeah. Talkie man has something he'd like to say. How, what's, what's up, Eduardo? I have some exciting news to share mm-hmm. about uh, a gentleman at this table who's going to be making his triumphant return to the soccer field in a couple weeks. Well, I know it's not me because I, <laughs> I never got on the soccer field. So and That's not true. I've seen your remote in Mexico. Oh, that's you true. You did get on the soccer that's field. True. Who did I play with? Giovanni Los Santos. Oh my God, that's right. Yes, but uh, but yes, you were right. It's not you that's going to be making your return. It's Mr. Matt Gorley, who I believe is training for. Uh, do you want to talk more training? about this? Yeah. Well, oh boy, I mean, I I've been since hitting fifty, wanting to get a bit back in shape, eat healthy, and go to the gym and exercise, get my cardio. And I was 
uh, how should I put this? I know you don't think of me as the most athletic person, and trust me, I don't either. Can no, it's so funny you say that because when I think of you going to the gym, I picture a gym from 1910, yeah. and you have a friend <laughs> who, <laughs> yeah, you, you have that one of those, yeah, those jiggling belts, but also you throw a medicine ball, yes, yes. and then there are some wooden pins that you toss around. <laughs> but uh, I did play soccer for a number of years when I was a kid, and and actually played club soccer and all-star soccer, believe it or not. And I am going back. Eduardo plays and he got us on a team called Mellow Yellow. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Exciting. Yeah. And uh, it's in your favorite city of Pasadena. I do yeah. like Pasadena. Man, Pasadena in August, though, uh, <sighs> this summer, it gets hot. That's a frying pan. I know. And I, I am not good in the heat. And I might not be good at soccer well, in the first place. I encourage you to watch Conan's remote. I mean, do you have any tips for... I don't remember. I shot so many remotes over so many years that uh, I have dim memories. I'd have to rewatch How it. How many times have you played soccer? I think you watched it. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think I really played soccer. I, it was, soccer was not my sport. Uh, my legs are way too long. So for uh, any kind of message to get from my brain to my feet, oh yeah, it takes like four days. It's like a Flintstones bit where they, you know... They, they hand a note to a bird yeah. and it has to take off. You'd be better off shouting the message to your feet. Exactly, yeah. Uh, so I, I don't remember that too well, but um, I, I know that uh, soccer is not my sport. Although I admire it, I, I think they're probably the best athletes because they run constantly. That's what scares me. And, and the hottest. And are they? Oh. Oh, well, yeah, I got that. I, I think so. Them yeah. and hockey players. Yeah, I mean... I don't understand. The hockey players cover their right soccer. We are we are have helmets on. The soccer players. We are okay. Is is that true? You. uh, I think so. Okay. Yeah, that's why I watched the World World Cup. The what cup? The World Cup. (laughs) (laughs) The World Cup. The World Cup. That's where all the sheep. You watch it with Barbara Walters. So. I think that's good. Are you feeling, what's the process of you getting into shape? Uh, I, I run on a treadmill. I run a, uh, about four miles a week. Okay. And then I do a little bit of strength training. Mm-hmm. And then I've tried to change my diet. The only problem I haven't been able to fix is cocktails. I still got to have my cocktails. That's a lot of sugar. Yeah. There's a lot of empty calories. Yes. Are there steaks? As in like, like do, do you, if you compete against the other teams, do you guys win a trophy? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a trophy. Oh, But I'm nervous. You, you know what I found? I you can go buy the trophies. Oh. I know I pass trophy oh. stores all the time, and I just go in and buy them. My shelves are filled with amazing oh. trophies. Conan, no, this is a trophy wife. We get a trophy <laughs> wife. <laughs> That's a big, de- big deal here in Los Angeles. Yeah. So what's the plan? So you're getting there. I'm, I'm a little nervous because I've never been a great endurance guy. I can sprint pretty well, and I'm tenacious mentally, but I think my body's going to give out pretty quick, especially if it's hot. So we'll see. How long has it been since you last played? Soccer? Yeah. I've never seen you stand up. No, I don't. I, I swear to God, yeah. all these five years we've been working together and he's always seated. And I saw you once on the sidewalk and you were in a rolling chair. Yeah, that's right. Just shoveling from I an office it, and you were just shoveling oh, yourself along. I played, uh, like I said, when I was a kid and then I joined soccer in high school, but uh, they didn't really play me. <laughs> oh. That's usually a, not a good sign. He's well, on your team, Eduardo? Now, how good are you, Eduardo? I'm okay. I bet he's pretty that good. Bet he's, I, yeah. yeah, he's that that means he's hey, really why good. Why don't you give me the benefit of the doubt? <laughs> um let me try that. Ask me how good I am. How good are you? I'm I'm okay. Ugh, uh, I think you're exaggerating. Huh? <laughs> huh? <laughs> I'm sorry. So if if one was to play soccer, does that make them hot? Does the tail wag the You're dog? back to that? Um Yeah, I'm sort of stuck on that one. I'd I like to know. be thought of as hot, and I'm curious. If I played soccer and you didn't know me and you saw a guy my age playing soccer on the field in super short shorts. Oh, boy. Like really short. I think I'd be like, why is his coordination off? And then because <laughs> is, these guys are they're running for such a long they period run the of whole time. time and they don't they're just wearing a shirt and shorts and like long socks. You know, what's funny. And I I'm, would, I'm into I would be that. OK with it. I would play if I could be on a pony. No one else is. Conan. I'm the only They're one. Playing polo while so I'm playing polo soccer. and I have a big like a uh, like a mallet. Oh, but Jesus. everyone else is running. But I'm on a pony. No. And I mean a very small pony. Like my legs are dragging. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you on a pony? I don't know. I just I like the visual of Conan's going to play and he's paying for all of our jerseys and he's paying for all the snacks. 
but there's one caveat. He has to be, he's, he brought a pony with him. And actually I have like seven ponies because it's so hot. I was going to say the ponies probably would pass out in that I would heat. put camelbacks on them, you know, uh, that bikers wear and yeah. have hoses going into their mouths so that they're constantly drinking nutritious uh, waters. Maybe you could be our team manager. And maybe Sona can be our team mom. And you can be the manager. I want to be, Aww. I want to lose it all the time. I want to be someone who gets to give a yellow card. That's a ref. Be the ref. That, yeah, yeah I'd like to be referee. a ref. And I would just, I would just be thrown. I would, I would love that. I would like that on the podcast. If one of you gets out of line or says something I don't no, like, I can just toss you're cards the one around. That needs that kind of thing. Eh, I'm above the law. No, you're off sides. I'm on a, I'm on a pony. Soccer. Well, I'm, listen, I'm looking forward to it and maybe I'll come check you guys out. He uh, said, not meaning it. Yeah. <laughs> Soda said she'd go. I, well, she I did. wants to ogle the guys. Oh, yeah. Clearly, she wants to get a uh, look at her old coworker in the soccer gear. Oh, huh, well, that's, it, that's it. That's <laughs> it. That's <laughs> Wearing it. cleats, shin guards, mm. and other things that you wear when you play soccer. No, I'll come. I'm close. Yeah. I we, we talked about it. I know yeah, yeah. which park you're gonna go to too. I'll come. I'll come cheer you guys on. I'll yeah. chop her in. Okay. Chop her in. Yeah. yeah. It's Pasadena. Oh. I can't be expected to drive all that way. I need to call my chopper. Are you going to land the chopper in the middle of the field? I'm going to land field? it in the middle of the field and so many people are going to get cut up by the blaze. Oh, man. Ah! Ah! Hello, everyone. Why are people screaming? What's all this blood about? I'm going to land on the field with no permit or anything and tear up all the sod. Oh. They do call it sod, don't they? It's artificial turf, for sure. Mm. I call it sod. All right. Well, listen. Uh, good luck to you. Thanks, I'm and, and and I do applaud you on this effort to uh, to get in shape. I Thank think that's you. great. Thank you. And once you uh, and trust me, as a guy who maintains himself in perfect condition, mm. uh, you're going to enjoy perfect. it once you get to where I am now. You said perfect. Yep. Ten. Ten. Ten out of ten. Okay. Established. Hot me over and out. <laughs> Conan O'Brien needs a friend. With Conan O'Brien, Sonam Obsessian, and Matt Gorley. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Nick Liao, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Take it away, Jimmy. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. Engineering by Eduardo Perez. Additional production support by Mars Melnick. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review read on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. Did you know Bridgestone developed a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials? Making a difference today for future generations. That's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. At Delta, we know Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta. Keep climbing.